Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Keep your money local. Bring it home to a Wintrust Community Bank, home of White Sox checking with free ATMs nationwide. Find out more at wintrust.com slash Sox. Members FDIC. White Sox, White Sox, go, go, White Sox. Ball hit deep, way back. Deep to the field. Holy cow. Carlton Fisk has put the White Sox ahead. Jimenez leaves the ballpark. You can put it on the board. Yes. We got a chance to do something real special. All right, sit back, relax, and strap it down. It's time for the White Sox Talk Podcast. You're listening to the White Sox Talk Podcast brought to you, as always, by Wintrust. Chuck Arfine here with Chris Kampka. And Chris, the White Sox offseason is only a few days old, and yet we've seen the first big moves by the front office as they have parted ways with hitting coach Todd Steverson and assistant hitting coach Greg Sparks. So here on the podcast, we're going to talk about why they were let go, what it means, and who might replace them. First, your thoughts. It's always a strange move when you fire one piece, right? Because unlike most situations, when Ricky came in, he retained his hitting coach, he retained his pitching coach, and usually you see a clean clean slate sweep. Well, the White Sox didn't do that, not saying it's right or wrong. It's just different than what most organizations do. So when you take away one aspect of the coaching staff, in this case, hitting coaches. It's always kind of strange, and you always kind of pick it apart, and it leads to a lot of conversation, and that's what we're here to do today. All right, so when the White Sox announced that Steverson was being let go or they parted ways, in the same announcement, they said that they recognized Anderson's batting title and Jose Abreu's RBI total, which led the American League. So it was... You know, on the surface, you might think, well, this is a weird time to be letting him go because look what the accomplishments that those two guys had, Yoan Moncada and Aloy Jimenez. But if you go a little deeper, there's more to it than a look what these four guys did, correct? Right. And I certainly believe that Steverson does deserve a good helping of credit for the breakout season by Moncada and Anderson's great improvement over last season as well, not to mention the others that you mentioned, but those two in particular. But it is weird. And we will, you know, let's talk about it. Yeah, because the one thing that's been holding this team back is walks. And you might look at it and say, oh, well, walks, what does that show about what kind of team you've got? Well, if you look at, and this is what's funny, Todd Severson, when he was hired, was looked at as a guy from the A's organization who was their minor league hitting instructor. And he was looked at as a guy who stressed plate discipline and I got this thing right here. The White Sox liked his his simple approach to swing mechanics and his devotion to have a plan and an approach to every at-bat. 
and every pitch. So on the surface, that seemed like, hey, that's just, this is the right guy. They looked at like 16 or 17 candidates. They chose him because of his track record, and he was someone from the outside. So when it happened, I'm thinking, here is what they need, but it didn't really manifest itself. So it goes back to, okay, was it the hitting coach? Was it the players he had to work with? Was it both? And I think in the end, they decided, let's turn the page. Right. I remember when Steverson was hired, and he had a good reputation, and I think the overall feeling was, okay, they hired a guy from the A's, and the A's have a reputation of being one of the more advanced thinking analytical organizations. So you're thinking, okay, the White Sox are bringing this guy in. He's going to bring maybe somewhat of that approach here. And whether he did or he didn't, it's hard to, you know, peel apart coach versus the, the players. But I will say this, taking a look at it, I think it's more a list of names than it is a list of numbers. And I'll dig into that a little bit more. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, I think it's more of the, the roster construction more so than the coaching philosophy. I think that a lot of the players that are here, a lot of the players in this roster has been assembled are simply guys who don't walk. And that's, you know, you're, you're probably not going to change that very much. Very, very few hitters develop more ability to walk as you go further. Now, one example of a guy you did is Todd Frazier, but that's rare, and you don't see that very often. But, and ultimately, you're going to have to bring in players who have that skill more so than develop it from the guys that you already have. Now, if you hear us say, oh, walks, well, you don't win games with walks. Why do you need walks? But walks, the ability to draw a walk shows you have an approach, a, a superior approach to the plate that likely means you're good at other things as well. Right. And I'm not saying just go up there looking for the walk. That's yeah. not what I'm yeah. saying. What we're saying is a walk, and there, there's two general methods of getting on base. Now, obviously, hit it by pitch. There's all those other ones. But mostly, it's collecting hits and collecting walks. And if you're going to pretty much just shun one of those methods of getting on base, you're missing out on chances to get runners on base and driving runners in. And it seems like you know the White Sox have kind of just kind of brushed off walks and never really focused on getting guys who walks. Therefore, they've had many fewer base runners and many fewer opportunities to score runs, which is one being one of the biggest problems that the team has had. If you take a look at the number of walks over the last several seasons, they were last in the majors this season. It's also their fifth fewest total in franchise history. And going further on that, the, f- the fewest walks in franchise history was 1981 strike season. Um, number four, I believe, was 1918, which is a war-shortened season. And so the other two, the last non-war or strike-shortened season that they've had fewer walks than they had in 2019 was 1904. So we're talking a really long time ago. And the White Sox, I mean, they've gotten progressively worse. 30th in the year, 30th in the league this year, 29th last year, 28th the year before, 22 the year before. It's been getting progressively worse. And it is a product of the players that you have. They simply haven't brought in players that walk very much, and when they tried to, they bring in Yonder Alonso, and he was off, off the team by midseason. So it, it, their, their attempts to try to add walks have not you know, r- resulted in much. And or, or have not been able to com- connect with the hitting coach who I would assume is trying to preach this. Yeah, it, it, I, I just... The, the lack of walks, I just can't pin that on the hitting coach. I, that's something I can't do. I, okay, well, let's look at this and why walks are important. All right, top five teams in walks in 2019. Astros, Brewers, Braves, Dodgers, Red Sox. Is there a losing team in there? 
No, there's not. And four of the five went to the playoffs. So, The bottom six in walks, and I did six because the sixth worst is the Orioles, and we know how bad they were. Here are your bottom six teams in walks. And my apologies to White Sox fans when you hear this. In order, from <laughs> most to least, and it's the bottom of the walks, Orioles, Royals, Pirates, Marlins, Tigers, White Sox, dead last. Good teams walk. And allow me to compound, compound on this a little bit. So it's not only the lack of walks. Here are some MLB ranks that the White Sox had this year. Um, home runs, 182. 25th in the majors. Triples, 20. Tied for 24th in the majors. Doubles, 260. That's 25th in the majors. Singles, 981. Tied for first in the majors. So with- Hey, Singles! They're good at singles. Well, that's the thing. I mean, they're hitting singles when the rest of the league teams in the league are hitting home runs. And when, when you're hitting nothing but singles and fewer extra base hits and you're not getting walks, in order to score runs, you're going to have to string a bunch of singles together. And in the low batting average era that we're in with a ton of strikeouts, that's just not a very efficient way to, to run an offense. And that's why the White Sox have str- struggled mightily offensively the last few seasons, particularly this last one. So I asked Rick Hahn in his closing press conference, what's the one area on offense that he wants to see improvement? And I'm taking a quote here from him. He said, I'm guessing most every team will tell you they want to get on base more. That is something we need to improve upon. It's been a priority. This isn't news. Guys know that. And when he said guys know that, I'm thinking, who are the guys he's talking about? I think he's talking about within the organization they needed to get this improved on and to begin I mean their first move of the offseason is hitting coach and assistant hitting coach are gone I mean but guys know this or Rick should know this he should know that he needs to bring in guys that walk more rather than saying we're going to get the guys on the team to walk more and that's one thing I he knows that too and hopefully that's what the White Sox do going forward but I would I would say probably even more so than getting on base, two words, home runs. They need to hit more of them. Being one of six teams in the majors with fewer than 200 home runs this year, only six, and the Sox are one of them, playing in a place that's pretty easy to hit home runs. Yeah. And that's really unacceptable. And they, uh, oh, they need a teleprompter operator. Thank you, Jeff Nelson. Okay. And I would pin a lot of that with their inability to hit home runs and not having guys on the roster that hit enough of them. And if you look at look at the, how the plate appearances were distributed in 2019 there's too many players on this team that can't hit home runs i think they're going to be changing that i think you're going to uh it'll go up for sure they i mean listen they didn't have a dh basically yonder alonso was supposed to be that home run guy that didn't happen they in a way punted on home runs for right field with john jay he's not going to be back and so i think they're going to fill those holes with players that are not a part of this team right now but you're right todd uh what are they saying? Eric. <laughs> Hello. Zach Collins. I, 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 there was, I know so many people with the last name Collins. I almost said Todd Collins, the former uh, Michigan quarterback. Former Bear. And former Bear. I almost said my friend Eric Collins, who is a uh, play-by-play announcer for the uh, Charlotte Bobcats. I meant Zach Collins, who he'll bring the walks and some power, but you know you need more than Zach Collins to improve those numbers. And I think that one of the key things is figuring out what plays in your home ballpark tailor your offense to your home ballpark this is one of the most glaring stats of the whole 2019 season for me the White Sox are out homered at home 
141 to 90. That's 51 home runs fewer than their opponents in their own ballpark. You can't have that. And the bottom half of the order, I mean, that's really what we're talking about here because this nucleus of talent offensively, the core, is doing the job. Now, the walks weren't there for you know <laughs> Tim Anderson. Uh, Abreu's walks went down. Moncada's walks went down. But, you know, I think it kind of, the bottom fell out with the order, the batting order offensively and, and spe- specifically getting on base. Well, you say the bottom of the order, but – you would also look at the top of the order where they had a guy, Leary Garcia, who had a 310 on base percentage hitting leadoff. This is 2019. Teams need to know you can't have that anymore, and that's a Ricky Renteria thing. Now, ultimately, you know, I, I like what Ricky Renteria brings to the table. He's tremendous with talking to his players and communicating, and he's a good leader of men. I've had some instances where I've seen him address the players. And I want to play hard for him. I mean, that's, you know, he, he addresses everybody with a smile and a pat on the back. He's, he's a kind of guy that you want to fight for. However, one of his shortcomings is his batting orders. And he, he's, he's lost in, in the past where you would put a fast, speedy guy who, you know, looks the part of the leadoff play. But you don't do that anymore. You can't. You have to have on base at the top of your lineup, you have to bunch your best players at the top of the lineup. Moncada is hitting fourth and fifth or towards the end of the season. He's one of your he is your best hitter on the team. Your best hitter must hit in the first inning every single game. He has to be in the top three spots. That's on Renteria in terms of that. So I think, you know, but we've we're identifying the problems. Let's get more guys with walks, get more guys with home runs, and let's organize them in the batting order a little better. And if we do these things, we're going to start to see some turnaround in 2020. But it has to be done. And, you know, sometimes some guys just need to take the fall. In this case, it's Steverson and Sparks. Uh, You know, they they did a good job turning some guys around this year, but maybe the White Sox felt that they needed a new voice there, which which happens to every team, and that's fine. Six seasons as a hitting coach is an eternity anyway, and the results weren't there for those six seasons. Granted, the talent – wasn't exactly there for Steverson. And if you just look at what the White Sox did when they made the announcement, they were giving him some credit. You rarely see a, a, a hitting coach lose his job and then the White Sox say, well, look what he did. Look at all the things that he did right. Uh, and that's what they, he said, they said about um, uh, Anderson and Abreu. Yeah, and I like that. I, I really like the fact that they give credit because the credit was due. Yeah. All right. Before we get to possible candidates, and, and actually I want you to come up with a former major league hitter, Dead or alive, who you would want to be the assistant hitting coach. <laughs> I don't know why I said dead, but it, just, it brings up a whole list of possibilities. An honorary deceased hitting coach <laughs> for the White Sox. All right. I'm not taking anything away from whoever the assistant hitting coach is. I, I would like to think they would hire someone alive, but I think we might have some interesting answers. Uh, we got to get to this. Speaking of dead or alive. The highest Babbitts in history, Babbitt being batting average with balls in play in history. An incredible development happened this season that is eye-popping and shocking, and it relates to this White Sox team, two players specifically. So the highest Babbitt in history, and I don't even know how they actually can really, I guess you can tabulate this. In 1923, Babe Ruth had a 423 Babbitt highest ever. George Sisler is second. Roger Hornsby is third. Ty Cobb in 1922, his 416 BABIP was fourth. In 1913, Ty Cobb had the fifth highest BABIP. The eighth highest is Rod Carew, who holds the 
I guess you could say record, has the highest, ninth highest BABIP in the history of Major League Baseball. It is Yoan Moncada at 406. And who has the 20th highest BABIP in Major League history? It is Tim Anderson at 399. So Chris Kamka, what does this say to you about the seasons that they had and what they did and the numbers they put up? Well, something about BABIP, normally you have a league average around 300, and so if a guy is significantly higher than 300, you say that he was a bit lucky on batted balls, which is it has to be the case in some respect for these two guys. However, the style of hitters that they are, which is guys who hit you know liners with speed, they should be able to keep a higher BABIP baseline than your average player. So I'm thinking maybe around 330 is reasonable, maybe a bit higher for these two guys. So that being said, yeah, they're doing for a little bit of aggression in 2020. Uh, don't but were they saying that about Babe Ruth and Ty Cobb back in the day? No, they weren't because the concept of BABIP didn't come along until the 90s. So, yeah. <laughs> but, however, yeah, I, don't be alarmed, White Sox fans, when I say they're in line for a bit of regression. They were tremendous this year, and even with – yeah, say if Moncada goes from 315 to 310 and Anderson goes from 335 to maybe even 310, uh, you're pleased with that. As Steve Snow would say, pleased as punch. Yeah, but just to see a top 10 of Ruth, Sister, Hornsby, Cobb, Carew, Moncada was just crazy. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, and seeing those names, anytime you put up a list and you get those kind of names, I mean, that 406 by Moncada was the best BABIP by a major league player since Rod Carew's 388 MVP season in 1977. And this has been a year of since somebody hit 388 because Anderson's 335 was the first time a White Sox player led the majors in batting average since Luke Appling hit 388 in 1936. Let me ask you this. How much does the shift affect BABIP? Because you'd like to think the shift is going to in today's game, it would be really difficult to have a BABIP that high because they're going to, you know, in theory, prevent a 406 BABIP because the shift is on you, but that's what Mankata got. That's a fantastic point, Chuck, and I'd have to dig into that a little further, but just thinking about it, the shift has to affect BABIP because whereas there were shifts before, you know, there, or there weren't really that many shifts before, there are shifts now. And if a guy is going to spray all over the field, that's going to really mess with the whole concept of BABIP. So that's a really good question, and it would you know, be a good idea to dig into that and take a look. Because I don't think they were shifting against Ty Cobb back in the day. No, everyone credits the first guy with being shifted would be Ted Williams in, in the 40s. And I don't even think that's accurate. I think shifts, ha- shifts were happening even before Ted Williams, but you just didn't hear much about them. It was just they just did it. All right, so the Sox say they're going to announce replacements for these two guys at a later date. Uh, Renteria did not hire any of his coaches. This is Robin Ventura's staff that he's basically working with here. He moved Joe McEwing from third base coach to uh, bench coach, and Nick Capra was promoted to from the minor leagues to third base. So I don't know. I mean, it's just will Rick Renteria have a say? And if he has a say, then that opens up. I mean, who knows who he's thinking to be his hitting coach? Um, one name that I looked up was uh, Bill Miller. He was the hitting. He was Renteria's hitting coach with the Cubs for that one year, and he worked with Rizzo and Castro. So that's a possibility. But um, 
the name that his you know jumps out just because of he was with the team this year in September is Frank Manichino. He was the Knights AAA hitting coach. And if you haven't listened to it, check out the interview I did last month with Manichino. We spoke you know in depth about Robert and Madrigal, and you know he has a very interesting take on things. And I think if you just want to make the 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 connection with where the White Sox are now and Manichino, it makes sense because he was the Marlins hitting coach when they had a young core of Yelich and Stanton and Real Muto and Ozuna. So from that perspective, maybe he might be in line for it, but we're just throwing darts right now. But he sure, certainly should be a candidate, if not a leading candidate for this job. Yeah, I think he will be, um, you know. It, to me, it doesn't really matter who the hitting coach is, although I would say that in their decision-making for for the hire, they should definitely um, figure out where they want to go and and determine whether or not that coach has a similar mindset of where they want to go rather than just hiring somebody for the sake of hiring. You know, maybe Manichino because he's nearby and, and he's here and he's worked with some of the guys. I think... Working with some of the guys is nice, but I think more important is finding exactly the hitting philosophy you want. Um, but ultimately, it's going to be the personnel that you have wearing those jerseys, playing the positions with the bats in their hands. It's going to determine the success. But finding the right hitting coach, oh, you, you might as well do it because anybody who can talk to the players and get them through slumps and and work with videotape and mechanics and stuff, it's, you're better. For every little bit of advantage you can get, get it. Manichino does have an edge to him. You'll hear it in his voice. Uh, I do like how he comes across. Uh, did not like that he said he thinks Nick Madrigal should spend all of next season in AAA, but if you listen to that podcast, you'll hear what he has to say. Now, it's not his call about what happens with Madrigal and Robert, but this is his opinion um, but I just like where he comes from and his thoughts on hitting. Yeah, I mean, it was a good podcast you had with him earlier. Um, you know, a lot of White Sox players this year who played in Charlotte do rave about him, and you can read about that here and there, and it's all out there. So he has a really good reputation. You know, he'd probably be a fine hit as the uh, fine uh, fit as a White Sox hitting coach. As far as what he said about Madrigal. I don't mind that, um, and here's why I say so. I, I have no problem keeping the guy in the minors uh, if you think you need it. He hit 311 with a 377 on base and a 414, did Madrigal this season, and it's good, but I think when you call a guy up, you want him to have those video game numbers, and he's not quite there yet. He's on the right track, and maybe a full season of seasoning in Charlotte would do him some good. I don't really mind that. If it's really his opinion, I'm, I'm good with it couple of other things on Manichino. He spent five seasons as a hitting coach in the Yankees minor league system, double-A and triple-A. And you know, that kind of got me thinking, like, all right, so Manichino came from the outside. I like that, actually. And then you want to think, okay, well, who other, who else is out there who might be an assistant hitting coach on a team that we want the White Sox to be like? So I looked at the Houston Astros. To my surprise, I had forgotten that Alex Cintron, former White Sox player, is one of two hitting coaches that the Astros have. They have two hitting coaches, not an assistant hitting coach, two. It's Alex Cintron and Brian Snicker. And Cintron joined the Astros as a Spanish interpreter, advanced scout, and assistant coach in 2017. And now he's 
sharing hitting coach duties with Snitker. Now, if you want to say, hey, you can be your own man. You can be the hitting coach by yourself with the White Sox. Come on down, Alex Cintron. So that's a possibility. Oh, sure. Um, you know what? I, I would I want to go way outside the box on this one. If I, and I don't have a name in particular, but I would like the White Sox to go look at these these new wave you know, hitting camps that they have. Guys like, um, you know, guys like Justin Turner going to these places. Um, J.D. Martinez. Um, there's these guys that are helping coaching hitters outside, like kind of like the driveline yeah. of pitching, but for hitters. I want to pull in one of those guys, you know, some extreme guy with some, some out there views and let's get the ball up in the air and over the fence. And I want, I want the guy to, a new guy to, kind of foster that new era in with White Sox, and they have some sluggers, Aloy Menes, Yon Moncada. I think there's some power potential untapped there that I want to tap into that. And there's room to, to hire guys like that. They don't necessarily even have to be the hitting coach, per se. They could be a hitting analyst or yeah. whatever it might be. Very true. And, and the Sox have started to do that. Um, that Matt Lyle, is that his name? Who they just recently let go. <laughs> but, I mean, they're, they're going towards that kind of thinking, yeah, because Lyle was one of those guys, yeah. and, and they had him here, and, and so they hire one type of that guy. They could do it again, and, yeah, I mean, I, you still have to hire a hitting coach and an assistant, and you can have another guy on the staff as well. I'm excited for the opportunity to see where they go with this. All right, so there's also Andy Barkett, the Red Sox assistant hitting coach. The last two seasons won a World Series last year. He was just let go on Wednesday. Uh, they think very highly of him, but – they made a change there. Uh, Aaron Bates, assistant hitting coach of the Dodgers. There's Mike Gellinger, who's been a longtime hitting coordinator with the White Sox. He's been he was like basically Paul Canerico's right hand man back in the day. Uh, Charlie Poe, he's a Birmingham Barons hitting coach. And then there's Jim Tomey, in house. I don't know if he wants to be a hitting coach, but he loves hitting, talking hitting. He breathes hitting. And I think while I, mean, I can't speak for him, but I don't think he wants to go back as a hitting coach right now in his life. This is my, my hunch. I could be wrong. Yeah, hard to see it. I mean, looked pretty good on MLB Network over there. Yeah. Uh, he, you know, he looks comfortable doing that. He has the uh, assistant, you know, front office stuff that he has going on with the White Sox. And I'm sure he's pretty comfortable where he's at. And, um, you know, I, I don't see it. Um, but in a perfect world, I think he would be a, an incredible hitting coach because he w- works great with people. He has he like checks all the boxes. He works great with people. He loves hitting and he has that respect. Like if Jim Tomey talks to you, you're going to listen to him. Well, precisely. I think who wouldn't listen to what Jim Tomey has to say? First of all, second of all, he's exactly what the White Sox need. And I mean, what was he? He was a guy who hit 40 home runs and walked a ton. That is exactly what the White Sox need at this point. So. From a guy who's done that, let's hear what he has to say. I, you know, it would be a neat hire. I wouldn't mind it. Oh my God! You know how big that would be for White Sox fans. They would love that, but it just doesn't seem like he's going to be. You know, yeah, I'm going to go back in the dugout and just be a hitting coach. You know, and, and take on all of that. It's a that's a stressful job. And does he even want that? He's got a great gig right now. Yeah, I don't think he would, but you know, who knows? Who knows? All right. Um, before I get to our assistant hitting coach guesses and not yeah, predictions and hopes and dreams, I looked this up. So, in 1978, you want to get? Did you see that number I had there? Mm-hmm. You did. Okay. <laughs> in 1978, 
The White Sox as a team struck out 625 times. As a team. Last season, as a team, they struck out 1,549. Almost 1,000 more times. That made me crazy when I saw this. And now, it's not just the White Sox. If you found the team with the least amount of strikeouts, it's still over 1,000. But are you kidding me? That's where the game is right now. So many strikeouts. And it's just dealing with that and saying, hey, it's part of the game and it's the payoff for power hitting. So, you know, the game has changed. I got one here for you as well. How about this? Consider in 2014, Jose Abreu's rookie season, so it's really not that far off. The White Sox were tied for seventh in the majors in home runs with 155. This season, they hit 182 and were 25th in the majors. Wow. That's, that's, and you know what that also, yeah, the change has really happened in the last five years. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. And I would say even more precisely in over the last three or four. I think 2017 is when things started getting out of well things were completely out of hand by 2017 and it's it, it kind of got back a little bit in 2018 and just took off even worse in 2019. That's where we are. It's a home run hitting game. So let's hit some more. All right, so the rest of the White Sox coaching staff's going to be returning in 2020. Um, are you surprised by that? I'm not surprised. You know, that's just the way things go. Um, you really don't need to blow up the entire coaching staff. I mean, if you were going to change managers, not that I'm advocating that, but if you're changing a managers, then you blow up the whole coaching staff, fine. But I think if you're going to retain Ricky, well, then you don't need to make that many tweaks. Let's just, you know, go forward, get a new voice in there. Let's see what happens. Okay, so assistant hitting coach. Now, if I had a choice to be the assistant hitting coach for my own selfish reasons. If it's not Jim Tomey, it's Chet Lemon because he was my favorite player growing up. And I just want Chet Lemon to be preaching how he used to play the game. <laughs> he didn't strike out at all, really very much at all, didn't walk a lot, uh, made a few all-star teams uh, with the uh, the White Sox. And, but th- that would be my guy. I want Chet Lemon in the dugout wearing a White Sox uniform. And actually, I want, I want him to wear the 1977, 78, Uniform. So while everyone else is wearing the modern day, I want Chet Lemon in his old uniform just to, so I could relive my childhood every day. So that's just me. That's fair. It's what you want. You know what I want? I want, I want to thaw out Ted Williams and, and bring him back to life and have him be the hitting coach for the White Sox. And not only because he was just a fanatic about hitting, it's because he's good entertainment. He was prone to throwing a good temper tantrum here and there, and, I, and I'd like to hear some interviews. I'd like you to go in the dugout and talk to him. I would love to interview Ted Williams brought back to life. Now, didn't they like, try to like, freeze him so he would be able to live to eternity? Yeah, he was, you know that um, Alcor, I think it's called, is they took his head and they f- put it in the cryogenic chamber. So you can't make this is true, and I think it still is. And... Um, yeah, it's a very bizarre thing, but hey, it's, if it's Ted Williams, why wouldn't you say, hey, maybe 50, 100 years from now, things will be advanced to the point where you can bring a guy back to life. Why wouldn't you want to bring back Ted Williams, the greatest hitter of all time? The baseball knowledge in that frozen head of his far exceeds any other hitting coach known to man. 
He was fanatical about hitting, which is what I love about him. The guy was obsessive about his stats, and a lot of times when you ask a guy, and we talked about this with Tim Anderson, who's all in. He was all in for winning a batting title, which I really admired about him and I really respect. And Ted Williams was just as fanatical about his own stats. And I'm all for it. Let's go. All right. So we will soon find out who the White Sox hitting coach and assistant hitting coach is. Maybe, just maybe, it'll be. Ted Williams brought back to life. (laughs) What a world we'd be living in if that was the case. And that is going to be a wrap for this edition of the White Sox Talk Podcast brought to you by Wintrust, your home for White Sox checking with free ATMs nationwide. Go to their special White Sox webpage. It is www.wintrust.com slash Sox. Chris Kamka, thank you, as always, for your knowledge, your opinions, and your wisdom. Did I really just say that about Ted Williams? On a podcast? <laughs> this is what you do on a podcast. On a podcast, you come up with answers like that. I thought you were going to go with Ty, uh, Ty Cobb. I did, too, unless until the last minute. Wait a minute. Ted Williams. It's got to be Ted Williams. And I'll go Shoeless Joe Jackson after Chet Lemon and Jim Tomey. I'd have a lot of questions for Joe Jackson. And I think the world would enjoy what you'd have to ask him, being – being the esteemed interview giver that you are, you'd be able to get some good stuff out of him for sure. And if not him, Hawk Harrelson, why don't you be the assistant hitting coach for the White Sox? That would just be just entertaining as hell. And um, you know a thing or two about hitting. Didn't he win the batting title? Nobody led the league in RBIs in the year of the pitcher, 1968. That's impressive. Hawk Harrelson, take it away. Thanks, our Chuck. And this edition of the White Sox Talk Podcast is over!